Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special mini episode of Make Hours Marvel. My name is John Wilson, and Mike Kaiser is not here with me because I just have a couple of recordings I did back at Dragon Con that I'd like to share with you. We're releasing this uh, in conjunction with Roy Thomas's first writing on Doctor Strange because I had a chance to talk to him about Doctor Strange back at Dragon Con of 2018. Now, um, there, you're going to hear two conversations in this episode. You're going to hear uh, where I got to ask him a question at a panel uh, discussing Doctor Strange. And then you're going to hear um, an interview I got to do with Mr. Thomas regarding his uh, his history and how he came into comics. Because, uh, you know, as as he's getting into the professional world, he's coming out of decades of fandom. And so I just wanted to... Uh, kind of bring a lot of that information to the fore. What was he like? What was his, uh, his fandom background and how did he get into the, uh, the, the job? So those are the two things you're going to hear and, uh, also check out the uh, main episode that's on the queue. Any other questions? Uh, go with him and then you. So this is a sort of a do you know question. Um, looking at early Doctor Strange from Ditko, um, if you look at the character, and like Strange Tales 110, 111, 114, and if you compare that to like 124, 125, his facial features are very different. Um, and the early stuff, he looks a lot more in a face like the ancient one. Like I interpret it that Ditko might have been using some maybe not so great shorthand Asian features. Are you aware, did he intend the character to be an Asian ethnicity at the beginning and that was changed over time? Me and Steve didn't talk much. Uh, <laughs> understand. I don't. I don't think he ever, you know, said. If he, you know, if he certainly never said to me. We only ever exchanged, you know, little casual conversations here and there. But uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Like when I look at these splash pages, the first one or two stories, starting with that very first little five or six page story with Nightmare that uh, they tossed in, um, that uh, he does have a somewhat Asian, you know, look to him a little bit. But of course, uh, you know, one thing to remember is that uh, there had been a character a little like him, you know, a couple of years before, you know, the Dr. Droon character that had virtually the same origin and the same kind of story, but was drawn by, you know, Jack Kirby and Ditko inked a little of that, I think, or something. And uh, that guy, at one stage, what was it, at one stage at the end of his origin, he not only goes through a very similar storyline like they later used for the origin of Doctor Strange a couple years later, but at the end, he ends up turning yellow and having Asian features, which is really kind of ridiculous, you know, and everything. Why in the world this has happened, I don't know. I can only really figure out, well, this is like, you know, at the very beginning, they really didn't know what they were, were doing. Why right. in the world they did that, I don't know. But, uh, and, and maybe that was an influence, but mainly Steve just, you know, I think he just thought of it that way, maybe because of Dr. Drew, and then he, but he gradually evolved it into just... Yeah, about a year know, later. Yeah, it took changed. a while, he, he gradually, and he got into the kind of classic, uh, you know, kind of look. But that happens, you know, with most people. I mean, the thing looks quite a bit different than Fantastic Four number one is, is lumpier in those earlier issues, and gets a little more of a definite shape, you know, the, the Hulk went back and forth, being just being a big green guy with a handsome face, almost the way Stan liked it. To other people, like Bill Everett and Gil Kane in particular, they saw him as having more of a, an ugly face, and which Stan never liked as much. I, I did, but Stan, you know, uh, always liked the, the guy who was more like just a big, wide-faced guy. But, you know, artists just evolve over a period of time, and they, you know, and they change their styles, and Ditko just did whatever he wanted to, and Stan could... I think Stan, I suspect that Stan probably thought less about Doctor Strange than virtually any other character, because he had Steve plotted it. 
even when Steve was plotting Spider-Man, Stan still, you know, had a great interest in that character. He, you know, he wasn't going to let, you know, Steve do anything that he didn't really like. If he didn't like it, he'd change it or he'd, you know, or he'd give him a different motivation of thing and so forth. And he could always say no. But with Doctor Strange, it's the backup feature in one of Marvel's worst-selling books. You know, X-Men and Strange Tales, those were the two lowest always, you know, in those days. And, you know, he could care less. You know, there's only be Human Torch or later S.H.I.E.L.D. that sold the book. Doctor Strange was, you know, almost it, never even the character on the cover. So Stan would just let Steve do whatever he wanted to. And he liked writing, he liked making up the names. I think making up the names Before and he the spells and things was all that Stan really cared about with Doctor yeah. Strange. Anybody else have that? <laughs> Thank you. I'm one of the few people still alive at Met State <laughs> and lived to tell the tale. With a wonderful, wonderful artist. So you ask, I'll just answer whatever you want. Yeah, if you don't mind, um, what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna focus on is some of your, um, your, your. I, I do a Marvel podcast. And I was wanting to talk about some of your experience with Marvel before you became a pro. Yeah. So um, I know that you were a big JSA fan back in the day. Did you read many timely comics as well, or did that come your Marvel fandom come later? Yeah, I, I, I probably came to DC first, and I have a feeling... I know that I saw at least a second from the last chapter of the Mr. Mind serial, so that had to be when I was under five years old. Uh-huh. I couldn't read it yet, but I saw the pictures uh, and everything. My mother would read them to me and so forth. But sometime around the time... I, so I had a good vocabulary of reading by the time I entered the first grade. Of course, it helped if they were in all capital letters, but I could read... I read children's books, too, by then. And... I remember in the first grade, I was already a fan of um, Human Torch, Submariner, Captain America. Captain America, I was a little less big on, but but I liked those three characters. That was about all that was left at the time of heroes at that time. The rest, you know, really weren't. And because uh, I remember, I cut out pictures probably of two or three of those, probably it's Torch and Submariner from a Marvel mystery issue. And my friend and I were trading them back and forth in first grade, not realizing it was verboten, and the teacher confiscated them all. I lost them all forever. So I know that at least by the age of since I was not quite six when I entered, I was at the age, by the age of six at least, I was reading Marvel Mystery, Captain America, Human Torch, and Submariner, and I, you know, loved the Submariner and Human Torch especially. So those all, you know, start to phase their out around 1950. 49. They died in 1949. All, right. The Marvel Mystery, Captain America, all gone within a few months, yeah. And then did you pay attention when they did that brief revival in like 54, 55-ish? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I walked at a bookstore in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and I saw the cover of Young Men 24 there, and I was thrilled. It'd been four years. Now here they were back with a wonderful Human Torch cover by Carl Burgess, and really great art by, you know, uh, I didn't know that Bill Everett had created the Submariner, but Bill Everett's art. John Romita doing a wonderful job on Captain America. Burgess doing some of the best work of his career on Human Torch, and then later Dick Ayers. Just, you know, really good stuff. The stories were a little sharp and thin, because Goodman seemed to like these six-page stories with four stories in a book, you know, uh, quite often. But, yeah, I loved it. I bought all that stuff and loved it and was really devastated when it, uh, you know, when it died quickly, but that was... Like six months later, right? Yeah, uh, the, the, the Submariner lasted the longest, but that was because they had a sort of a TV deal in the works that eventually fell through, so Submariner actually lasted six more issues than the others. Okay, so we're, we're moving in towards the end of the decade, mm-hmm. and DC has revived their heroes, right. and so... Followed all that. Right, I mean, because probably a lot of familiar faces in different clothes, right? From showcase number four, you know, on up, I bought them all as they came out. Did you... Um, Whenever Marvel started doing new heroes, Fantastic Four and such, what grabbed your eye, and, and was there any sense of this being different 
from a from a fan's perspective? Yes, very much so. I mean, uh, I had never bought any of those monster books. I saw them because I knew Kirby's work. I had been a fan of the Simon and Kirby, and I knew their name on a on something. Whoever did what meant quality from you know back when they had done Stuntman in '46 or so, and then in the '50s, Fighting American. You know, anything that they did was going to be okay. Uh, so. But I wouldn't buy, you know, I wasn't going to buy any of the Gugum Son of Goom kind of stories. It just didn't interest me. I, I, I liked that kind of thing in movies, but I wasn't interested in these little comic book stories. So I, but I never bought, I saw, I remember seeing Hulk, you know, the original set version, but I never bought any of them. And then one day I walked in the store. I was uh, just graduating from college. It was like the beginning of August, I guess, or so in 1961. I walked in the store, uh, Metro News in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I, I see this thing on the stands. It looks like a, one of those monster comics from this nameless company that used to be called Marvel or Atlas or whatever at different times. And I see this thing, and it's a monster comic, but it's got a, a, a weird, not particularly good version of the Human Torch on it. It's got this guy stretching like Plastic Man, and a woman's turning invisible. And here's this weird monster, another smaller monster, a little monster at the bottom of the uh, the page. Two monsters for the price of one there. And, and I knew right away what they were doing, even though they didn't have costumes. I thought this was so weird little, just weird little companies, weird little approach to doing superheroes, you know, a la Justice League, which is, of course, exactly what it was. I, I, in a couple of seconds, I had sort of analyzed it, which, as I was probably supposed to do. I picked it up. I bought two copies because I knew my, my friend Jerry Bales, uh, who had started Alter Ego uh, with me helping him, might have missed it, so I, it turned out he hit it, so I had a second one, and I, I sold that second copy when the price went up to 50 cents on the back issue market, so I made a big profit on that. <laughs> and I guess um, my last thought would be, what did you really enjoy about the line, and how did that segue into your asking for work, or however it is that that happened? Well, from the beginning, I fell in love with the thing in the first story. The other stuff was nice and so forth, the art, but it was the combination of Jack Kirby's version of the thing and you know, and the way Stan wrote the whole story. With, even the Mole Man was a semi-sympathetic villain. He wasn't just out to rob a bank or torture the hero. He's out to you know, make himself happy because the world had made him miserable. And right away, I could see this was aimed at an older audience. And when you follow that with Spider-Man and the other comics, the best of them, uh, you know, were the worst of them were okay, and the and the best of them were terrific. Uh, and right away, within short order, much as I loved those DC characters, I saw that uh, obviously this guy Stan Lee, at least, if not the other people who wrote it, was writing the best superhero comics. So, uh, but I never really thought about working for them because, after all, he's writing five, ten comics a month. He must like it, you know, he's doing it and everything. It never would have occurred to me to even think. I exchanged maybe one or two little notes with him, nothing much. And, uh, you know, I wrote a couple letters in, but I didn't get a didn't get a male relationship going with him like I did it with Julius Schwartz at DC. So I, you know, so I sent him copies of Alter Ego when I did them and this and that, but I didn't really pay too much attention. I was just a fan and, uh, you know, and I got the job offer at DC, so I took it and it never would have occurred to me to think of, you know, looking for a job at Marvel if I hadn't been unhappy with the job at DC. So I, I owe a great... Two great thanks to Mort Weisinger, the super editor. One, for hiring me and bringing me to New York. And second, for being such a miserable bastard <laughs> that, that when Stan Lee offered me a job, I, uh, 10 minutes or 15 minutes after we met, I said, okay. <laughs> you know, Otherwise, I'd have felt too much loyalty to, to DC, those characters, to Julie Schwartz, who you know, uh, encouraged me, to Mort for hiring me. If he hadn't been so miserable, I would have... You know, I, I wouldn't have dared quit. I'd have felt a loyalty that I'd have stayed. So it was 
very good for me that I left because Marvel was a smaller company on the rise. And as soon as I walked in, I was, you know, I was low man on the totem pole in some ways, but I was the number two editorial guy within a month or two in a way. So because there was nobody else at DC, you know, I'd been bumping out into Julie and Mort and, you know, five different editors and setting their own little cubicles. With At Marvel, there was just, everything flowed to Stan and then from Stan to Goodman, but, you know, it was a nice, simple little operation without a lot of infighting in politics because they were just getting the books out and the, the editors weren't fighting against each other because there's just Stan. He's not going to fight himself, you know. And there weren't many other writers, you know, so uh, I, I wasn't the first writer he hired. Steve Skates was a couple of weeks earlier, but that didn't work out, so I became sort of the, the number two writer almost automatically, if you, except for Larry Lieber doing those westerns. Right, right. Well, thank you so much. Make ours marvel.